Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. You know what I'm about to say, and I know you want to hit that forward 30 second thing just to not hear me say it, but please hear me out. We need your support now more than ever. The Tortoise Shack has thousands of people listening, but obviously people are feeling the pinch, particularly after Christmas, and we are struggling to keep the lights on, mics on, and conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. We've no ads, we've no sponsors, we rely entirely on you to pay it forward and keep this project going. It is the price of a fancy cup of coffee to you once a month, but to us it's mics on, lights on, bills paid, and we get to keep going in 2024, which is going to be a huge year of elections. So if you value what we do, give something back. Click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise It's right there at the top of the podcast you're about to listen to. And it ain't a one-way street. You get a ton of additional content for that, including all our podcasts as quickly as I can turn them around, completely plea-free. So, for example, if you were listening to our live podcast from a few weeks ago at the Sugar Club with Barra, who talked about his journey of death, the trip of death from Turkey to Greece and then winding up homeless on the streets of Dublin. Well, Barra, Brian and Aziz rejoined us for an update on his situation, how he's getting on since then and what's happening with his family and friends in Gaza and indeed in Rafa at the moment. That's available right now on the Patreon feed for all of our members so by joining us, you get access to that and our entire back catalogue in one consolidated feed. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise Thanks so much for your support. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Moose Gold. My name is Neve McRae and today we're joined by Magella Mulkeen, who is a lecturer on the social care programme at Atlantic Technological University in Sligo. So Magella, you're a warm welcome to Moose Gold. Thanks very much, Neve. Um, Magella, um, I'm really delighted that you've joined us because I've used your work a lot in my own teaching. Um, I also teach on a social care programme um, and... Your research is focused um, primarily on the theory and practice of care within the profession of social care in Ireland, um, though I think its relevance is far wider than that than this sector alone. And in particular, you've drawn attention to the somewhat impoverished, impoverished conceptualisation of care within the standards of proficiency for social care workers in Ireland. Now, Magella, not all of our listeners will be familiar with the field of social care. So maybe um, I was wondering, could we just begin with a little bit of background? If you could maybe tell us what is social care you know, what are the, some of the characteristics of social care in Ireland specifically um, and maybe how it's distinguishable from from social work? Because I'm not sure if that's always clear. Thanks very much, Niamh. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, so maybe just to say first, um, uh, social care in Ireland goes, it, it's historically, it originates in residential provision for mm-hmm. children and for adults with with disabilities going back to industrial schools and mm-hmm. reformatory schools and all kinds of institutional provision in the Irish context um it started off um with its, with a focus on child care arising from the recommendations of the Kennedy report uh, into industrial and reformatory schools way back in the 1970s and in fact Sligo and Dublin were, were one of the two um first two colleges to develop a, a national diploma in child care. And as provision from, as the development of an infrastructure of health care and social care developed, um, such as health boards, it became it became rechristened as social care because provision moved out of institutions mm-hmm. as institutional forms of of, of 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 providing services declined in popularity, um, and indeed a lot of criticism levelled at them was very reasonable. So you know, it, it, social care then um, evolved into um, a range of settings 
and 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 population groups where the social care worker was employed sometimes within what was the health boards and then more recently the HSE health service executive and TUSLA to work with people who are at some point in their lives or perhaps throughout their lives in need of some additional support who mm-hmm. need the services of the social care uh, the social care worker who may be employed for example by Thusla to work with families whose children, um, where, where there are children that uh, need additional supports or specific interventions or help. They may work with young people or children who've come into foster care or into residential care settings. They may work with people who have, into, adults with intellectual disabilities mm-hmm. who are living in community settings. They might pre- they might work in day settings where they're providing um, education and uh, recreational opportunities and uh, developmental spaces for people who need ongoing support in their lives to 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 to, to grow and to develop. Um, so, therefore, social care work tends to be distinguished by its focus on sharing the life space mm. with the people that it is it is there to support, mm. which is somewhat different to social work. Uh, because social work tends to um, involve managing um, managing the case involving mm. the family or the child or the adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may be, for example, that an adult requires uh, requires um, a movement out of their home into a residential care facility. For example, if they have ongoing profound support needs, um, the the social worker might manage that and find the place, uh, ensure mm-hmm. all the legal requirements are met. The social care worker may be the person who is going to work with that individual in that in that house setting or in that residential setting on an ongoing basis. Cooperating with the family, cooperating with the with the social worker, keeping the person uh, who has moved into the house at the centre yeah. of their of their of their attention to enable them to live as as full a life as possible. So, therefore, the life space and sharing that space with indivi- with the individual, um, or, or in a group setting or on a one to one basis, is a very important dimension of of social care practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and. and Inevitably arising out of that, then there is a requirement for the social care worker to advocate either at an individual level for the person where their needs may not be adequately met or where they might want something that's not mm-hmm. immediately available or at an organisational level where they might make make a, a claim on the work of the organisation on behalf of the people and mm-hmm. alongside the people they're working with. Um, and then at a policy level, clearly um, mm-hmm. being able to bring that kind of frontline perspective of the worker and their often intimate knowledge of the person they're working with and enable those people, whether they're children or young people or adults, to present their own case is an important part of that, of drawing on the frontline experience, Mm. the intimate knowledge one has of the everyday lives and experiences and struggles of people um, uh, and and bringing that to bear perhaps on on organisational change and, and, and at policy level. Yeah. So, so social care, so social care work, you know, now in, in, the, in the current times, social care workers continue to work in residential settings, uh, smaller, much smaller than in the past. Um, they work in addiction settings. They work in domestic violence settings. They work uh, in residential care settings for children and young people. And they work w- within social work teams and multidisciplinary teams within Thusla. Mm-hmm. Um, the key feature being that they develop the skills necessary to work uh, in group or individual um, basis uh, with people who 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 may 
um, for a period of time require additional intensive help and support mm. um, around around addiction, around uh, um, behaviour, integration with school, um, relationships with parents and children, all of those different dynamics. Yeah, that's a really brilliant overview, Magella. Um, thanks so much. And I guess just following on from that, you mentioned there the contemporary context um, as you outline in your most recent paper, which we'll discuss in more detail, um, social care in Ireland is undergoing a process of professionalisation. And one key aspect of this is its recognition and regulation by the Social Care Workers Registration Board, which operates under the auspices of CORU, which is the regu- regulator for um, health and, so- health and uh, social professions in Ireland. So this is obviously a major development. Mm-hmm. Um, what, in your view, do you think it means for social care to be regulated by CORU? And do you think that this is a positive development overall? Or or, or what are your, and that's probably a big question, but yeah. what, are, what are some of your perspectives on that, Magella? Yes, I mean, I think, I think, um, maybe just to briefly say that social care work is one of a, a wide range of mm. of roles. I think there might be thirteen in all. I think Coru's remit has extended, um, including psychologists, uh, dietitians, um, optometrists, um, psychotherapists, mm. social workers, a broad range of roles, um, which are currently um, coming under the. Uh, Kuru, the health and social care regulator, and their role really is to ensure that the that the public are safe mm. or as safe as can be in their interactions with professionals, and so um, and so they're being de- these 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 roles, including social care practice, have been designated as professions, and within within that then um, comes a range of regulatory frameworks, which in a way do control and. Sp- prescribe what it is that the social care worker does, for example, you know, um, uh, and and what kind of uh, professional conduct and ethical ethical standards they must abide by, and what happens if they don't abide by those. There are the one 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 once a, a, once a, a role is professionalized, it um, it it means several things. It means, firstly, that the education you undertake must be in an accredited educational institution. Mm -hmm. So for that purpose, many of the uh, universities, formerly Institutes of Technology, have been accredited by Coru as Mm -hmm. providing an adequate level of education up to a point where once the student graduates with that qualification, namely a BA in social care practice, they are then eligible um, to enter the register. And once they enter the register, their title is protected. One -hmm. cannot say one is a social care worker unless one has has this specific qualification and unless one uh, registers then with CORU and the Registration Board for Social Care, which actually coincidentally is opening this month. Mm so, so from that point of view, um, it is part of a broader swathe of regulation of, yeah. of 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 roles being undertaken by the state, and there's lots of positive positive dimensions to that, particularly in terms of of in terms of uh, of, of of managing in a way and controlling the standards of education that people get. And providing a broad range of standardised proficiencies that a student must actually uh, demonstrate they, that they have attained um, mm. once they qualify with their degree, and those proficiencies incorporated within their degree qualification enable them to simply enter the register. And clearly, as they evolve as a profession, they then develop other 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 
capacities, but these are the kind of minimum standards. So that's that's an important setting the standards and setting yeah. a kind of a. And secondly, it gives there's also space for 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 profession to to be in some way scrutinised as having as having a code of ethics and a professional conduct. And if there are breaches of that, then the public and the person, the people involved in in using social care services, have some recourse that they can make a complaint and have that investigated. Mm-hmm. So that's very important in terms of public accountability. Um, and I suppose thirdly, being listed as a profession, you know, um, with the status that that involves um, mm. uh, is important for social care because of its historically low status where the social care workers themselves experience themselves as being very low down on the pecking order of multidisciplinary teams, despite mm-hmm. their kind of intimate knowledge of the experiences of the people that they were supporting because of sharing their life space with them. And uh, they're, they're strong, I suppose, the historical association of social care practice with the vocational feminized orientation to uh, being innately able to do this work as if somehow one didn't once one was a woman and because the, the yes, many yeah. of the social health and social care professions are dominated by by women there was a sense in which um one didn't it was a natural attribute of women and that it comprises skills and uh, dispositions that were intrinsic to women and therefore you could pay them less um because they didn't necessarily have to have any qualifications and indeed when they did have qualifications it was often seen to 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 be um, to be at a, at a much lower level than other professions. So having having that kind of being being regarded and recognised as a profession, and having a register and having a code of professional conduct and ethics, they're all very important in 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 I suppose in um, enhancing the historically low status provided to social care workers. But there is also a downside, you know, with increasing regulation, um, I suppose with the kind of the, the development of standards of proficiency and the opening of a register and the kind of a, the, 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 the possibility of being taken to task for one's professional conduct, it all means that there's a kind of a, a much more prescriptive, you know, mm. and, and somewhat sometimes narrowing of what the work of social care is because it must fall within these particular parameters um and uh the the title is 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 protected and if one gets too f- focused in becoming professionalized it can it can um deter one from from the kind of very important role on the one hand of being a professional namely being competent and being accountable and mm-hmm. being capable in the work and people require that when they come to use a service and on the other hand setting oneself apart and setting oneself in a hierarchical relationship with the people that you're yeah. supporting um, and and serving as being someone who knows best and who knows better and you know, many people have that experience of professionals as on the one hand being very competent and capable and kind and wearing their knowledge lightly, but also being very astute and, and directly usefully, materially helpful to them. And other, you know, other times people's experience of professionals is of aloofness and of um, hierarchy and of a status, um, status managing. And so there is a tension there, I think, mm. inevitably when, 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 um, uh, when a, 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 a role such as a social care worker becomes professionalised. On balance, I would think that as the, as the, the, the profession uh, matures 
it will, I think, enter into a phase where as long yeah. as it keeps close to the groups of people that it is there to 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 stand by um, uh, and and takes its cue from from their experience, it may well avoid some of the vagaries of um, the hierarchical kind of um, notion of what it is to be a profession. So, mm. yeah, that's well, it, maybe we can we'll delve a little bit deeper then into some of those themes, but. Um, especially, and here I, I probably should have mentioned where I, I mean I'm, I'm speaking specifically to your latest paper, which I urge re- listeners to to read, which is in the Irish um, Journal of Applied Social Studies, and which is a really fabulous analysis um, of the standards of proficiency for social care workers in Ireland through the prism of care. Um, so I suppose if we just maybe move on to the to, to that more specifically to your um, academic work in relation to that, and maybe some of the theoretical um, influences on your work. Um, and as you've written in that paper, there's been a huge upsurge in scholarship on care. And you draw on this extensively. And as you explain, you know, through this as well, care is a complex, multifaceted value. And the feminist ethics of care is now a well-established body of work within moral and political philosophy. And then more recently, uh, John Baker, Kathleen Lynch and colleagues in the, in the Equality Studies Centre in UCD, where we both studied, um, have placed care within an equality framework. So I suppose I'm just wondering which developments in thinking about care have had the most influence on your work and under your understanding of, of the social care field and, and, and what has been the nature of that influence, I guess. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly. I mean, one of the one of the very helpful and useful things to me in coming to theories of care has been that it has provided me um, with a language to speak about care and to talk yeah. about care beyond social policy and psychology, which mm. were the kind of traditional fields um, in which uh, care was 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 examined. So, you, you know, um, if, if you're looking at care within social policy, it tends to be focused on kind of care for care for uh, older people, older frail people, care for people with intellectual disability, care for young children um, and and developing policies around that and mm-hmm. um, and indeed um has been guilty of you know of developing uh, thinking and policies without recourse to the voice of the people um d- being directly spoken of and thankfully that has changed it you know certainly mm-hmm. formally in more recent years and and psychology has often been focused on the the very the, the kind of Obviously, the skills that you require and the insights into people into the into the growth and development of children in particular. But but actually having 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 a capacity to to uh, speak about and define care uh, beyond beyond the kind of um, beyond the uh, um, the the widely used kind of sense of I care about you or you have to care about this mm. or it's very important to be a caring person the normative kind of requirements that one is caring and that that comes with you as a package when you come onto a social care course. I suppose some of the ways of thinking about care has enabled has enabled me to 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 think about it um as 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 the I suppose and, and I suppose to think about it more more politically and more and more sociologically. Mm-hmm. Um, so in other words, uh, being able to define care for as work, for example, as particular requiring particular skills, requiring particular dispositions, requiring different knowledge and competencies, particularly in the professional field. Um, that's I think fairly well established within social care because there are different modules and subjects and areas of skill that one must develop, mm-hmm. such as communication skills and intervention and assessment skills and self-care and you know mm-hmm. managing one's emotions so that's important but in fact um in fact broadening that out to think about care 
you know, I like kind of Kathleen Lynch's work in 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 defining care as having three firstly three broad dimensions mm-hmm. kind of the the love labor and the loving care that we associate with talking about caring for our parents or caring mm-hmm. for our best friend or caring for our children that kind of uh, non-substitutable as she calls it mm-hmm. um care that we have for those in our immediate circle of friends and family and partners um she talks more broadly then about care as a secondary form of of, of labor where it involves kind of looser uh, less intensive less prolonged relationships with people in our in our neighborhood in our broader mm-hmm. circle of friends and this is where this is where the area of professional care works comes into it where there's competency and training and accountability required and she then broadens it as does herself and her colleagues broaden it to a to the tertiary level where and I think this is probably the most important one really in many ways um the tertiary level of care, which is what they call solidarity. It is kind of a political expression of yeah. care whereby um, a society or a, or a politic can be viewed as having um, care concerns more central to it. In other words, or, or not. So in other words, the, the kind of concept of, of, of care being in the possibility of individuals within their personal and private lives or indeed within their professional lives being able to demonstrate um, a caring disposition in their work can be enhanced or depleted according to the broader organizational and yeah. ideological and political context within which yeah. it happens Absolutely. and you know yeah. we can see for example you know that the you know that the the the, the, the debate for example um, that has just begun and uh, seems to have gone up boil a bit on on the idea of having a referendum on the Irish constitution to address the issue of how of how a woman's role within the home and her kind of intrinsic um, requirement uh, her own life within the home as um involved providing care for other people how that perhaps you know is too narrow a definition of a, what a woman's life should be about and it neglects the role of men's lives in mm. caring for people and it it is it suggests nevertheless that while we might want to address those outdated and antiquated ideas about mm. who should do care work nevertheless um it it suggests that actually care within the constitution could be valued and yeah. might have implications for how we might assess and value the, the 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 role of people working in the care sector as well as people who are who are providing that kind of a, a non-substitutable care for for loved ones in within the private private sphere of the family um, and I suppose while those three kind of intersecting circles of, of kind of loving care, more kind of broad, broadly secondary levels of care and solidarity care, while they're an interesting way of dividing out care, they are all linked from each other and they do they do bleed into each other, mm-hmm. for want of a better phrase. But they are also, I suppose, that this, they're also important in terms of identifying that um, the way in which uh, care has been made invisible really it, it it's not made invisible it is in many respects was and it continues to be invisible work that mm. is assumed that can be carried out by people outside of the important uh job of running a society acting politically holding down a job or mm. you know having one's kind of cultural identity respected so this i one of the ideas that i think was very helpful to me and influential to me was to actually say look when we when we look at inequalities in our society and when we look at groups who are marginalized the the people that 
often the social care worker uh, supports, we can see that people can be economically, you know, um, economically disadvantaged mm-hmm. through poverty and through low wages, and that that has a huge impact indeed on people's everyday capacities. We can also understand that often those same groups of people are politically disenfranchised. They often don't have a say even within organisations that are there to support them mm-hmm. and more broadly um more broadly, it's very difficult, for example, to to get political support or to get representation for groups of people who are who are deemed to be less deserving than others, whether that's prisoners or people who have addiction or people who are indeed are seeking asylum. So you, we we recognise inequalities insofar as they occur economically and even in terms of politically and representation. And we recognize inequalities as they occur culturally in terms of one's 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 status as a as a woman, um, as as someone who's gay or lesbian, mm-hmm. as someone who has um who whose nationality or whose um, ethnicity or whose age or whose disability requires um requires requires recognition mm-hmm. and respect. However, while cultural and political and economic inequalities are really important to address, the fundamental dimension of inequality around what's called effective relations mm. seems to me to be often neglected. Mm. So we we think of people as economic beings who have a right to get a decent wage and to be able to work. We think of them as, as political beings who have a right to vote and right to have a say. And that's very important in social care now where groups having a say and having some choice and some control over what it is that the service should provide has been given much greater, uh, much greater importance. And the whole issue of diversity and inclusion recognises that actually people do exist in the world um, through their through their through their identities as females or as males or as people with disabilities, and that they have particular needs that often aren't 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 taken on board. But the fourth dimension, which I think has been really useful, is to say, look, there are also inequalities that affect people in their in in their in their own care spheres of life. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, in other words, that care is a fundamental good. It's a, what you call a public good, like mm-hmm. access to education or like access to a job or like access to a vote. It's a public good. The right to be cared for when you need it and the right to provide care for those one, one might want to care for and to get support to do so mm-hmm. are fundamental because we can't exercise our ability to go out and to work or to go and, and, and vote or have a say or indeed to fight for our rights as, as women or, 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 as, or as, as, as a gay person without having access to the care mm-hmm. that, that sustains us in our lives. So that notion of the care sphere mm-hmm. having generating its own inequalities. And I mean, the most obvious one listeners will be familiar with is the absolute um, implicit assumption, slightly shaken up in our society, but by and large still fairly intact. The assumption being that that care work is women's work Mm. and that in fact, if men do it, they're perhaps suspect. Um, and 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 so are heroic. Are heroic, one or the other, exactly. They're heroic or suspect. And whereas when women do it, it's simply taken for granted. And many of us have, you know, have 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 lived and developed our professions within that, because something like ninety over ninety percent of people working in the health and, and care field are women. Um, 
and uh, and and according to the Central Statistics Office at 2020, and even in other words, even professionally, the the care sphere, um, whether it's social workers or whether it's uh, GPs or whether it's nurses or whether it's social care practitioners, are predominantly women. So that's a way in which, for example, um, care is highly gendered. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, uh, therefore, uh, there are there are huge inequalities in that very statement. Firstly, mm. because it's invisible, and women are often expected to do it within the privacy of their own homes, as well as professionally, um, with varying degrees of status and pay attached to it. And secondly, it often neglects and 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 invisibilizes and minimizes the um, both the responsibility and the resourcefulness of men to be yeah. involved, yeah. either in care professions or indeed in caring. For for example, for their own parents or for their own children, where Hanlon's research and others suggest yeah. that, you know, men become default carers when women are not available to do it. So, in other words, thinking about those kinds of inequalities, you know, in terms of who does the work, and clearly it's not just gender, it's also a social class issue, and it's also highly kind of racialized in mm-hmm. the more recent times in Ireland, where you have an enormous amount of exploitation um, of the care workforce, particularly when they are um, when they are coming from uh, um, ethnic groups that have, are highly visible and are working in residential or in home care settings. Um, and I suppose the second dimension which I found most useful in thinking about care there is not just inequalities in who does the care work and how that's valued or, or not, but also who gets to receive the care that they need. Mm-hmm. And clearly, you know, covid and all of the kind of uh, the uh, and and before COVID, all of the um, the 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 reports and commissions on the neglect and abuse of of, of people who needed support and 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 and, and care throughout Irish history and even more recently are you know examples of the extent to which the uh, lack of care. Um, the yeah. the lack of support for parents to care for their children adequately, um, the lack of addiction services for people who want to who want to uh, and need to um, need to deal with addiction. That these are, for example, these are examples of where yeah. the care infrastructure, and I think COVID highlighted that mm-hmm. the care infrastructure is so poor. Um, so, for example, we don't, you know, if we want to have if we want to have children, we have to, you know, we have to by and large um, agree with the notion that. Um, Agree with the notion that uh, um, uh, that one has to actually um, have almost have another mortgage because mm-hmm. there is so little, so little, um, mm-hmm. so that because childcare is so is so difficult to access and it is um, and it is quite expensive mm-hmm. and the people doing the care work are very are very poorly paid by and large you know so these are very practical examples mm-hmm. and the result yeah. of this is that that many women for example with children something like the unemployment rate for women with whose youngest child is four to five years of age is 66 percent so you you know women are paying a very kind of practical price a very serious um price in terms of their their earning power because uh, child care is so is so is so expensive mm-hmm. and because the cultural assumption is that when you when you leave it up to um both men and women you know no matter how good they try to do things differently inevitably it comes down to women taking the kind of taking the taking the place mm-hmm. um 
taking mm. the role, taking on the role of care work. So, in other words, in terms of thinking about care, the concept of the effective sphere of life. In other words, all of those institutions and laws and policies that define our capacity and prescribe our capacity to 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 do care, either as professionals or indeed in our private lives, is as an important a field of inquiry for uh, sociology and for political science and for for our broad thinking, as is the economy, as mm-hmm. is politics, and as is the kind of cultural sphere. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is, invi- you know, it is, in, it, is, it is often invisible and something that is ex- ex- expected to happen. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, COVID was a good example where that actually was laid bare, you know, where, mm-hmm. where the, where the, where the, um, the lack of, you know, the, 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 the lack of facilities for children and for older people and the neglect of those groups of people and the assumption that people could continue to work somehow mm-hmm. and mind their children. Um, uh, which again fell primarily on women during COVID, highlighted that very poor care infrastructure. And mm-hmm. if you have a poor care infrastructure, then it really puts enormous pressure on people mm-hmm. um, who 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 want to get support to 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 provide the care that they that 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 they that they want to for people in the private sphere of lives, whether that's parents or siblings or children. And it also places, you know, considerable pressures on professionals working in the broader care field. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's 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 a brilliant kind of overview of I think the contributions of 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 those involved in the ethics of care and as you said the specific work of of of, of Kathleen Lynch and John Baker and those yes. who put it through an egalitarian frame and um, and also just to flag that there's uh, you mentioned the work of Niall Hanlon there um there is some really interesting mm. Emergent research in the area of social care on gender, um, you know, Francis Gahan is doing work in this area that finds that even when men do move into professional social care roles, that some of those hegemonic gender norms around masculinity remain in place. So that's uh, work that needs that that uh, we shall read on about in due course. That's so right. let's move on then, Magella, to your specific to to, to your your I suppose using that kind of theoretical. Um, those theoretical frameworks to look at the standards of proficiencies that we that we that we just explained earlier. Um, so um, you've already explained what the standards of proficiency are. They're you know a set of standards that 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 work in competencies that workers are are, are required to achieve. Um, but you write in your paper of the tensions within the standards of proficiency between, and this is a quote, a conceptualization of social care concerned with boundaries, duties, safety, rights, protection, regulations, and on the one hand, and a more emancipatory project of collaboration, choice, voice, advocacy, responsiveness, and trust on the other. Um, and I, I, I completely agree. I think uh, this tension is certainly one that I see my students struggle with. Um, could you speak to me a, a little bit about um, how this tension manifests within the standards of proficiency within the document and maybe even within social care more broadly? Thanks very much. Uh, thanks very much um, for that question. Yeah, because I think that I think it's really imp- important because um as Gillian, Gillian Rush speaking about social work in the UK, I, I'm struck by her work and, and, and was influenced by her thinking when looking at these tensions. You know, she identifies social work and indeed as, as being an innately complex and anxiety inducing profession, you know, where there's not necessarily always very clear answers. Now, of course, there is knowledge and there is expertise mm-hmm. and there is there is approaches and skills that are required that work better than others. Mm-hmm. But in any particular situation with any particular family or individual, you have to use the bank of knowledge and skills you have 
built up over years. And sometimes you have to actually tease it out and discuss it with other people on your team mm-hmm. to find out what would be the best approach, given what how uncertain the situation is that we might use in this particular context. And you know, Gillian Rush, Gillian Rush says that you know, in a, in it, you know, she talks about the fact that uh, given that that's the nature of social work, and I think it's also the nature of social care mm, practice, sure. then having 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 very tightly prescribed sets of policies for every for every eventuality um, uh, can lead to, I suppose, can be an example of what's of risk-averse organisational mm-hmm. context, you know, where an expression of any uncertainty or any anxiety about the work, um, you know, is 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 often um, seen as a sign of professional vulnerability, which mm-hmm. one must guard oneself from. Um, that often, therefore, results in 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 a kind of an over reliance, you know, on prescriptive procedural approaches, you know, and mm-hmm. a resistance to approaches that suggest uncertainty. And uh, and so therefore, you know, I think that, th- therefore I think that that is manifest in the standards of proficiency. And some of the standards have set out very well, you know, some of the complexities of the work and, and, and some standards tend to focus much more on 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 perhaps the risk averse dimensions of relation of 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 organizational context and professional practice and perhaps engage less with the uncertainty and anxiety provoked by mm-hmm. suffering and pain and and marginalization and and exploitation and inequality and the sometimes impossible situations that people have to struggle in um and while standards of proficiency, I suppose, are standardized, I don't, you know, I think that there is space for some of that tension to get resolved a bit better, do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, for example, there are 80 standards of proficiency. They're divided, you know, um, across five domains. And, um, you know, one of the kind of positive dimensions, you know, in, in, in domain one, uh, which is about professional autonomy and accountability uh, draws attention to the to the fact that it is not the responsibility of the relatively powerless to assert their rights, but actually the onus is on you as the professional worker to behave in a way that acknowledges and respects the rights to dignity and autonomy and um, mm-hmm. of, of the people whom you are working with. And I think, and it seeks to address the potential, the, the very, very obvious power imbalances, you know, um, inherent in professional relationships and to protect those who are relatively powerless from any kind of um, exploitative dimensions of that. So therefore, the, you know, the focus on rights and boundaries and duties is opposite. Mm-hmm. However, in it is also the case, you know, that, um, that, that in order to be effective, social care practice requires the building of close and intimate relationships with people over time. And requires an emotional engagement with the, the circumstances and the situation and the experience of the people you're working with in order to be able to reasonably accurately assess and plan an intervention. Hmm. But, you know, the, the, the issues of trust, of vulnerability, of loyalty, of proximity, of being emotional attunement, 
tacit understanding. These are huge themes on mm. in the in the in the literature on social work and social care and, and the social mm. professions generally, but they get very little purchase you know, mm. within the standards of proficiency in comparison to its emphasis, you know, on on uh, on 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 um boundaries and and, and 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 duties. And I think that reflects the political context in which social care is yeah. currently operating. And the standards don't come out of nowhere. Exactly. They come out of a context which is informed by um a desire to right the wrongs of abuse and exploitation um of the past by managing the workers and providing an ill, what do they call it, a pill for every ill or a mm. policy for every individuality. Mm. And while, while that's understandable, it, it is too restrictive to have that, you know, to have that so highly, highly um, uh, emphasised within the standards. So that we have, so we have things like, you know, we have, for example, proficiencies in relation to safety and the management of risk are set out in considerable detail mm. in six standards listed one after the other. Confidentiality is, comp- is pr- comprehensively addressed in an additional five standards, whereas the relational, the complexity of the relational nature of social care practice is simply addressed in, by, mm. in three standards, particularly mm. the relationship with the people one is working with. So that... Um, I would have to say that the standards are are perhaps over prescriptive around managing um risk mm. and, and and uncertainty and and less 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 willing to um set out that one 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 must have a proficiency in um in in recognizing uncertainty and anxiety yeah. and while it does definitely highlight the in two of the standards it highlights the importance of collaborative work and teamwork and communicating with each other, um, I think that the 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 kind of the the features of emotional engagement and attunement and managing managing oneself within that, you know, um, uh, are perhaps not as well developed as they might be. Mm-hmm. And you use the phrase um, the the technical rational approach to care in the standards of proficiency. Um, which you contrast with the um, relationship-based practice, which is kind of what you've been advocating there. Mm-hmm. Um, could you speak a little bit more to that, the technical rational approach, or is that kind of what you were just describing there in, in response to the last question? Uh, to, to a degree, yes. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that <laughs> social care practice and social care work is 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 a relatively new profession, a relatively mm. new profession in mm. comparison to law or or medicine, you know, or indeed mm. even social work, you know. Uh, so so, and its knowledge, its theoretical knowledge base is not as well developed as other social professions, mm. and it 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 is less. It's less served by the kind of biological sciences than, mm-hmm. for example, medicine is. You know, where mm-hmm. you know where one can be correct about something, uh, mm-hmm. ostensibly, um, and and incorrect and and prove 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 that. However, so therefore the the de- the development of evidence, you know, that that particular mm-hmm. interventions and particular kinds of supports and particular approaches um, are more useful than others. You know. Is is getting built and is right. really important in enabling people to be confident and competent in the way in which they in the way in which they respond with appropriate professional rigor to the needs of the people that that they're working with. Um, however, however, if those as as I mentioned as you said earlier, if those are 
quite complex and the organizational context isn't supportive of a team-based approach and a supervision-based approach and mm. a consultation-based approach to managing these kinds of complexities, then people can find themselves going for what is called in the literature and what I term the technical rational approach, you know. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, it's a technical thing. You know, it's about mm -hmm. an assessment tool. It's about an intervention. It's about a program. Um, uh, and it's about um, being rational. In other words, mm -hmm. uh, if this is the problem, then here we have three solutions and one mm -hmm. of those will work. We'll choose this one, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there should be a fit. And when there isn't a fit, it's often not that the, you know, it's, it's either it's often blamed on the person who's not um, who's not open and, um, mm -hmm. and and not available for this kind of help and this kind of support and this kind of intervention. Um, and in some organisational context, of course, people go back to the drawing board and say, "What do we need to change?" Because perhaps mm -hmm. how we're approaching it or how the professionals are engaging with it requires teasing out. And I think there is very good practice around all of that. And mm -hmm. social care workers are are parts of teams that do that. Um, so, so I, so I think that I think that um, that kind of the, the the reliance on policies, you know, the reliance on policies mm -hmm. and procedures. Now, it's really important to have policies and procedures because many of us remember working working in the sector thirty or forty years ago when there was nothing. There was mm -hmm. no policy, no procedure. Mm -hmm. um, you went on a wing and a prayer. You did mm -hmm. what you thought was best and, and you weren't particularly accountable to anybody. Mm -hmm. And funding just rolled over. So it is very important to have policies and to have procedures. The downside and the danger is that mm -hmm. if people become too um, too used to taking down the policy manual and saying this is what we should do in this mm -hmm. context, mm -hmm. when the particular context requires a more nuanced approach. Mm. It requires an understanding that this particular person is in this particular circumstance. And while mm. the policy says we should overall take this view, actually, it wouldn't help this person. It wouldn't mm. help them. We need to tease this out a bit more and mm -hmm. see where the policy sometimes doesn't serve. So so, mm. so what I'm saying is that, you know, um, and, 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 and in fact, people who, who come to, people who, who, who respond to social care service providers and social care workers um, say that actually, mm. you know, um, friendliness, warmth, being mm. listened to, mm. loyalty, sticking with it, mm. non, not being judgmental, that these are important really important qualities in enabling the competence and knowledge and skill mm. of the worker to be useful to the person. Mm -hmm. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, being bossy, being intrusive, not keeping the appointments, um, mm. um, laying down the law, um, being, you know, passively threatening or overtly mm -hmm. threatening, that um, that these are viewed by through the research with people who who, who are at the receiving end of, mm -hmm. of the services as being really unhelpful because you never get mm -hmm. to actually be able to experience any knowledge or skill mm -hmm. or competence because mm -hmm. it's communicated in such mm -hmm. a way that uh, um, it doesn't take into account the re the lived reality that you are facing um, mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. basis yeah. so um yeah it's, yeah it's so interesting and i think like it's so i mean just what you were saying there about uncertainty and anxiety, like it, it's so much harder to capture those things mm -hmm. in a standard of proficiency. Do you know what I mean? And it's and and for us as educators, it's so much harder to teach those things or to model. Well, I mean, really, it's isn't it about modeling them a lot? And um, it, like I sometimes think, especially because obviously students are just, 
you know, they're just starting out. And like there's something kind of grounding about a policy and a procedure. There's something kind of it's a it's a lifeboat almost. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so it just points, I think, to the importance of having more experienced mentors and everything who can show them that kind of practical wisdom, really, that you're talking about, which is that more situated kind of response to That's the ethical right. yeah. issues that arise on practice. You know? I, yeah, I think so. I think I think so. Um, I think that there is a dimension to that. But I think also, I think, you know, one can, one can, I mean, I suppose two things. One is the standards of proficiency. You know, as one member of the Social Care Registration Board reminded me, they are a floor; they're not a ceiling. You know, mm, they're mm. the they're the they're the starting point. Mm. Um, so it it feeds into what you're exactly saying about you build on these, um, mm. um, and you 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 expand depend you know based on your own modeling even as a teacher and on the uh, expertise of people who are more experienced in the fields mm. coming in. Um, nevertheless, standards, you know. A proficiency, you know, being being able to uh, to demonstrate um, a capacity to to uh, ethically bring themselves into a relationship, to mm-hmm. be authentic, mm-hmm. to uh, be to ensure a capacity for kindness mm-hmm. and warmth mm-hmm. um, and reliability. These are all. There's no reason why one couldn't say that. That's a competency. That, that that's yeah. a competence. You know, yeah. uh, why sure. why not? Um, why mm-hmm. not? Uh, the, the people the people whom we work with can immediately see it. They could very yeah, yeah. very quickly yeah. assess, mm-hmm. but there mm-hmm. but there's there isn't you know there isn't any of those you know trust friendliness being open minded being believed being mm. understood being mm. encouraged, you know this is what the people at the receiving end of services are saying you know mm. helps them to build you know positive and um, respectful and trusting mm. relationships with professionals and and were were any. Um clients, service users, whatever you want to call them, involved in the creation of the standards of proficiency? I think there was a broad consultation, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, I suppose, yes, there was, I think, and they did mm-hmm. have some input from from people using services. And I suppose one of the things that struck me, you know, because I looked at some of the standards of proficiency for social work, and I yes. think my they're very similar to the they're social very care similar. work. Yeah. Very, very yeah. similar. There's mm-hmm. virtually no difference. Mm-hmm. And I, my sense is that a lot of the standards of proficiency for the social professions listed within CORU and regulated by CORU are are, they've got a lot of similarities. Absolutely, okay? yeah. you know, it's almost like there was a template. There was, a, yeah, I yeah. think so, mm-hmm. and a template. But nevertheless, I still think that doesn't doesn't justify leaving out no, words absolutely. like warmth yeah. or authenticity, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. or or um or um um encouragement or trust or friendliness. Hundred percent. It, it kind of almost reinforces that idea of it being a standardized process when it yeah. isn't yeah that's mm. right yeah that's mm. right yeah yeah so i think that that's mm. uh, i think that that's 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 yeah, i think your your work really reminded me a bit mm. of um the concern you know um our colleague in, in athlone teresa brown has that's written right. a lot about yeah. um the widespread t- spread tendency towards defensive practice in in social care and i know yeah. i have another colleague denise Lyons, who does a huge amount of work with our students around sort of trying to promote a more embodied practice um, amongst students, which I think speaks very much to your concerns. Mm-hmm. And, and and Teresa's work is around, I suppose, the, the, the consequences of the, um, you know, the, 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 the horrific history of social care and art in terms of institutional abuse and how that has led to a kind of a kind of a fear, the risk averse stuff that you've talked about. And I really see my str- students struggle with that. Um, you know, um, what do I do if a client tells me that they love me, you know? 
um, you know, like you can hardly shut that down and yet they don't know what to do with it. And it's a, it's appropriate that a client would develop, you know, so it's, it's but it still requires a very skilled response. Yeah, so it's a, right. it's a very complex field. That's right. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Ruth Emmond, um, working out of Thinkstrath Clyde in, in Scotland, you know, has written um, very persuasively about the about those issues, you know, of love and care in, in the mm-hmm. residential field and how practitioners um, work with them and address them. And certainly, you know, and going back to the work of Gillian Rush, you know, uh, uh, you know, she was she was kind of saying that, look, you know, supervision is really important. Uh Consultation with outside expertise is really important, and um, and and engagement with the team of mm-hmm. your colleagues, you know, in a space that um, in a space that uh, a bit like pilot training. That when you do something wrong, it's not kind of a, that you lose points. It's that mm-hmm. it's a it's a space for learning, mm-hmm. um, where those kinds of issues are teased out. Um, but it's it's difficult to do that if the organizational context is 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 restri- is, is 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 strained either mm. through um through lack of staff mm. or through lack of yeah. expertise within the staff mm. where you might have a large number of very young workers you might have very few you know more experienced workers mm-hmm. uh, you might have a shortage of staff yeah. you might have um, a lack of training uh and 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 an ongoing support for implementing what might mm. one learn mm. on training yeah um um because so much, you know, uh, so much training nowadays is being delivered online where people mm-hmm. put on their headphones like we're doing today and they do mm-hmm. a training course and then that's it. And that's uh, an, an incredibly kind of, a, it might be useful for, I don't know, some basic mm-hmm. things, but really um, the value of training is an opportunity to share case studies and scenarios and uh, uh, hear what other people have to say and get to know what they do and how they respond mm-hmm. and building up your tacit or implicit knowledge as well as mm-hmm. obviously getting expertise in terms of consultation and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and and training as well. But you are right. There's no, I mean, I, I you know, in, I'm, I'm not saying that I have answers to this, but that, but that, um, uh, Unfortunately, a little bit like in my paper, um, what what um, what uh, some of the writers in England talking about, you know, relational austerity, where workers managing their uncertainty through references to policies and procedures, um, you know, end up end up um, end up actually mirroring the outside context that has marginalised mm. and suppressed mm. and oppressed people. Already, you know, so mm. they become they become as uh, as as Hingley Jones and Rook says, you know, that um, you know, professionally informed practice can, you know, become more authoritarian than authoritative, mm. can be more combative than mm. compassionate, um, and that's that's often because the broader context is one where organisations ex- increasingly expect. Families and individuals to uh, come forward and be responsible and be mm. capable of accessing the supports that are available. And if they don't, they're seen to be resistant. Mm-hmm. Um, I was struck, for example, um, visiting student on placement uh, um, last year, where um, there was a a a um, a Thuslerun setting based in a neighbourhood in a housing estate, and it was. Um, it was there to support families in the in in the estate, um, uh, and there were several workers, social care leaders, and social care workers, and the student was on placement. 
And when I asked her, had she ever visited any of the homes of people or had she ever walked around the neighborhood? She said, no, she hadn't. Mm. She had never walked in the neighborhood. She um, maybe came off the bus or drove a car into the mm-hmm. center. She was there. The workers didn't go out to houses. Um, mm. uh, they never w- visited people um, in their houses. They were Families were encouraged mm. with flexible time and, sp- and space to come into the centre. Mm-hmm. And, and there was rooms and they were very comfortable and it was mm. really nice space mm. to come into. But I was struck by the fact that actually one learns a huge amount by walking around a neighbourhood mm-hmm. and by sitting mm-hmm. in the in the kitchen of a family that you're working with. And, mm. um, and the, mm. fact that, that the fact that, now obviously social workers do that, but in the context of the kind of programme interventions and the support mm. available, um, I was struck that, um, that, 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 was, that that was, that the going out was less, less evident than I might have thought. Yeah, that's not that's to say really that every setting is like that, yeah, but it was yeah. a particular, it was a particular mm. setting that I visited and I was struck by that kind of um, by that um, reliance on people being responsible for turning up and coming in, mm-hmm. providing a nice setting, providing very skilled mm. people, but nevertheless, you know, it was the family member or the mother mm-hmm. or the father or whoever ha- who had to make their way to the to mm-hmm. the setting, you know, mm-hmm. and, and present themselves there. So that kind of you know, so that that more broadly speaking, a reliance on policy and procedure can end up being combative or can be authoritarian and be experienced as that, even though it may not be intended. But uh, yeah, that's where it leaves us. No, absolutely. And I think it speaks also to the, the, in terms of the theory that you were talking about earlier around how our capacities for individual levels of care are so intertwined with the broader uh, political field. Like I know a lot of my students, you, you know, you touched on it there around like there's a huge amount of staff turnover, for example, or they can't get staff. And, you know, I mean, you do have to wonder what it would be like if we really had a society that valued care. You know, would there be a massive more investment? Would staff be paid better? Would, you know, would the conditions be better? And all those kinds of issues. Yeah. Um, you touched there, Magella, on emotional. You talked about, um, I think you talked about this a little bit already, but um, uh, you know, you're emphasizing care as a concept, as a, the complexity of care. Um, and one aspect of this complexity relates to the role of emotions within professional relationships um, and how it's it's an emotionally steeped um, organ, uh, uh, practice. Um, and you draw on the work of Hochschild, I think that's how you pronounce it, and on that of our colleagues, Nat Hanlon and Joanna Fabianowska, um, where they write that social care work requires that workers be authentically caring and empathetic, empathetic while also maintaining some professional distance. And then on top of that, and at the same time, they must do the work of managing that contradiction. And that's, so that's a huge emotional kind of labor required for that. Um, do you feel that's adequately represented in the standards of proficiency? Yes, I suppose, you know, <laughs> while there are lots of dimensions to the standards that, that, that do address crucial elements, you know, of, of the professional relationship, you know, um, this is one where the standards of proficiency have really, um, in my view, fallen down. And that's also been acknowledged by, um, you know, uh, people like McGar and uh, Fingleton writing about assessment and intervention. That actually, um, despite the fact that a huge body of research, you know, demonstrates the salience of emotions for professional decision making, whether that's in the legal context or medical context or nursing mm-hmm. context or social work context or teaching context, um, and in fact, Hennessy, writing more than 12 years ago, she uh, spoke about um, emotions as equal alongside theory and skills 
in terms of their importance um, in being skillful and um, being professional and, uh, and 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 being able to um, intervene effectively, and it that builds on what you know what you talked about in relation to Fabianowska and and Hanlon's work on on how what the demands on workers are. So, despite all that, you know, and despite the fact that service people using using the services of social social care agencies put a high value on genuineness and warmth and and empathy and all of that requires you know considerable emotional work by the professional there is very little um little you know emotions receive very little space in the standards of proficiency um, essentially i suppose essentially um while you have um there's no explicit recognition of uh, um emotional work um, as part of one's professional proficiency within these standards. Um, there is a requirement uh, set out um, uh, around self-awareness, self-care and empathy. You know, the one, the, 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 the requirement to be proficient in empathy sets out that one should practice in a non-judgmental manner, understand another fe- another's feelings, be able to see the world as others see it and be able to communicate that understanding. And that's very well done because I think that's their key dimensions of empathy. Um, uh, so to understand another's feelings and to be able to communicate that understanding. This is really the, uh, the only, um, the only, uh, the only um, mention of feelings mm-hmm. within the standards. Now it also Another standard reflects the importance of, of self-awareness and the practitioner's responsibility to manage their workload and their health and their well-being, um, as well as have, accessing supervision. And so all those, you know, suggest an implicit awareness, you know, of the emotionally demanding nature of social care practice. But nevertheless, you know, despite the fact that, you know, you know, emotions in a relational practice such as social care, which are crucial at the level of engaging people, assessing what their needs are, planning, working with them and interventions and evaluation. Um, that's really, really essential. There's, there's such, um, there's such a dearth of attention to emotions. Um, and in particular, because, you know, as you said, because as, as, as the work you mentioned, uh, highlights, you know, generally speaking, when, when people are, um, struggling with poverty or struggling with their parenting or trying to manage, um, 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 an addiction or have, a, you know, have an intellectual disability, um, they're generally not engaging with services when they're on top of the world and very happy. They're generally yeah. quite stressed, mm-hmm. you know, as we all would be, struggling, often in the face of almost insurmountable hurdles, living with mental illness, perhaps, uh, living with addiction, coping with domestic violence, um, living in poverty. So people are coming to social care workers in a heightened state of anxiety or anger or stress of some kind or another. So being able to, you know, being able to, to, to respond and manage that and how it evokes one's own feelings is kind of central tenet to the kind of concept of relational based practice, which social care is about. Um, so therefore, you know, um, the fact that these emotions are generated, you know, around power and status, you know, interactions with the workers um, requires that they would be far more comprehensively addressed in the standards of proficiency. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pity because um, 
it's the first thing that's that students you know and yeah. our young practitioners experience is their own you know heightened emotionality um and uh that of the people sometimes that they're working with and they kind of you know the, the 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 kind of statements that you know one should leave one's emotions at the door when one comes into work and one should kind of you know uh leave everything that's going on in one's own life and come into work and be a blank slate upon which all emotions can be mm-hmm. can be can be can be directed and that you can just shake it off when you go out the door and go home and have a bath is you know is probably a bit you know it's probably a bit too simplistic you know mm. of mm. course people have to yes you do have to try and manage that and that's the that's the work often people yes. will say no the work is not physically demanding it's just emotionally exhausting you know mm. um and so i have to um not get i have to engage emotionally with people because that's the nature of the way i will uh, engage them and assess their needs but i also have to manage that because it is my job Mm-hmm. It is my job. I'm, you know, as one of, as in my in my own previous research, one of the residential care workers said to me, he said to me, well, he says, um, I tell these, I tell these young fellows that I'm working with, you know, he's working with teenagers in a residential setting. Mm-hmm. He said, I tell them, they're my second family. I have a wife and I have my kids, but these are my second family. Mm-hmm. Now he says, I also know Majala, my boundaries. I'm not going to bring them home for dinner with me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I drive out that road, and by the time I'm, you know, three or four miles away. Things are drifting away. But so he was in that expression, I felt he was mm-hmm. expressing a very nuanced and very well mm-hmm. thought through capacity to be proximate and mm-hmm. close mm-hmm. and emotionally attuned such that he could tell them, you're my second family mm-hmm. and I worry about you. And, and they would say to him, yeah. oh, you're only here because you're getting paid. And he'd mm-hmm. say, I have bills to pay. I have kids to take mm-hmm. care of. Yes, I do get paid. But more than that, I'm here because I want to be here yeah. and I'm concerned about you and you're like my second family to me. But and he was a, also there's a confidence in that, isn't yeah, there? There's, there's huge confidence, confidence in that. And yeah. experience in yeah. but also there's a kind of a respect to the for the young people in that I'm not going to patronize you and that's say, right. Oh no, no, I'm not being paid or da da da. But at the same time, it's not just any old yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's right. Impressive. So, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So that, mm. that that doesn't come. That doesn't come in your first mm. year or two years or it's indeed five years mm. experience, you know. But it and needs he, to be talked about more, I think. Yeah. yeah. And it so it needs to be teased out and talked about, mm-hmm. uh, I think, a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a pity, really, that, that you know, I suppose that, that you know, like um, that notion that, you know, the expression of strong feelings doesn't fit with kind mm. of assumptions about the exercise of your boundaries. You know, you're expected on the one hand to develop these, uh, you know, intensely, um, you know, intimate relationships to enable people to trust you and to work on very difficult things. But on the other hand, you're expected that, you know, that uh, you, you, you would manage them in such mm-hmm. a way that you can kind of maintain those boundaries mm-hmm. and that it all would just happen very mm-hmm. easily um, mm-hmm. and that your own kind of, you know, your own mm-hmm. object- objectivity wouldn't be insofar as one you know, is trying to balance up which bit is me, which bit is the other person. What is a realistic assessment of what's needed here? Mm-hmm. Um, but that notion that you're rationally objective and neutral, you know, mm-hmm. um, seems mm-hmm. to be one of the kind of, you know, demands of what it is to be a professional. But that really does affect social care practitioners because mm-hmm. they do mm-hmm. feel constrained mm-hmm. that they can't, you know, say something about what this means to them. Um Mm. You know, in 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 um in the circles of of of, of multidisciplinary teams, but also that within their own teams, it's it's the collaborative 
trusting nature yeah. of teams seems yeah. to be absolutely crucial yeah. to their capacity to deal with the mm-hmm. emotional kind of mm-hmm. um, flying around of anger and rage and, and anxiety and stress um, from the people they're working with. Mm-hmm. And where those teams are coherent and fairly cohesive and are reasonably small, that seems to be the base from which good practice can occur and where a a professional vulnerability can be acknowledged and where uncertainty and anxiety can be addressed and strategies formed to actually move on something, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if you have, as you mentioned, a high turnover staff, lots of young staff with, you know, not a huge amount of experience, um, that can be difficult, you know, to say Mm -hmm. what's the best thing to do, you know. And I think people are trying, but as you you mentioned, the broader context is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, one of the themes again of that paper and again we've probably touched on this a bit already but you've written that attention to the complexity and paramount significance of care can provide a, can provide a key counterweight to managerialism in the social professions um, could you maybe just say a little bit more about that theme and how managerialism manifests in social care and how and how a focus on care can help attenuate it yes yes yeah I think that I mean I think part of the I suppose part of the kind of you know, managerial approach, you know, is, 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 I think is, is evident in some of the examples I gave, you know, earlier about the, yeah. uh, that the client or the person using the service, you know, is responsible for their own behavior and mm. that there, you know, there's a limit to which uh, the professional doesn't need to go beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and while that's true, um, it's, um, you know, the, the kind of the austere nature of, 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 of funding and prescribed behaviors um, and regulation among the professions uh, can result then in a kind of a, in, in what's known as a relational austerity, you know? Um, and so, uh, so that, type of kind of managerial approach excuse me that's that's very much about key performance indicators about value for money about how many phone calls you answered you know how many house visits you had um being being and having to kind of delimit you know the amount of um, investment you would have with family i remember being astonished once listening to an organization saying well we offer we offer the young person six meetings you know and I thought, wow! If you don't get it within six meetings, you know you're 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 out. You know, yeah, so this kind of yeah. the, the this counting of mm. of how much I will engage with you and for how long and what the expected outcome of that is, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if it doesn't happen, it's nothing to do with me or to do with the emerging understanding we have. It's to do with the fact that the young person didn't adequately engage, for example. Yeah, you know, yeah. so that yeah. kind of that's what I would call a managerial approach. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. it's managing the person according to a set of kind of figures. And times and limits and uh, and and placing responsibility back on them, regardless of what's going on in in their lives, that they must turn up and show up and engage mm-hmm. with you, mm-hmm. um, and that any failure to do that is not to do with the context of their lives and the inherent nature of the struggles they're coping with, but is to do with you know with their resistance. So, so, so. So providing a standardized service, you know, doesn't address the kind of the 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 the, um, the particularities of mm. that individual's uh, situation and life experience. And if you are time limited, and if you are um, if you are, you know, pres- being prescribed key performance indicators that you have to submit for funding, that broader context is very real. 
and it's not one that can often be be, be easily thrown aside. Mm-hmm. And it is a continuous battle. And in fact, for some managers that I spoke to in my own research, social care managers, it was the battle that caused the most distress, yeah. you know, yeah. trying yeah. to fight for space to get the work done and yeah. to stick with people, to stay yeah. with people and, and to witness for people and to advocate for people mm-hmm. that um and that people were you know people were were really struggling with very tight budgets and they were also you know continue you know increasingly increasingly working in a privatized profit driven yeah. provision and regardless mm-hmm. of the commitment and the uh, and the work ethic of social care workers in that context which is no different to those working in the voluntary sector or the statutory sector nevertheless the particular profit-driven dimension there, um, mm. you know, is 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 I think crucial in their experience mm-hmm. of having a capacity to do what it is they would want to. Now mm-hmm. there are other pressures, you know, in the voluntary sector, you know, and in the statutory sector, mm. and indeed I think many of them are coalescing around an extremely austere budget, you know, mm-hmm. um, and extremely prescriptive um, prescriptive requirements about what should be produced for the money being given and the competition, mm-hmm. that that type of managerialism is really goes against the grain of people being able to um, s- establish a space where they could be responsive mm-hmm. to people's, people's realities, where mm-hmm. they could be flexible, where they could, where required, go the extra mile, where they mm-hmm. could perhaps bend the rules, where they could perhaps work within a policy to get the best for the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so those broader contexts um, are very constraining on people's creativity and flexibility. And uh, and nevertheless, social care workers do remarkably well mm-hmm. in so many contexts to hold on to uh the motivation that brought them into the work, mm-hmm. you know, which was about being responsive to that group or to that person, mm-hmm. shouting about what's not acceptable, you know, mm-hmm. on behalf of that person, enabling them to have their say. Mm-hmm. Um, and indeed, you know, social care practitioners have, have used advocacy services provided, you know, very strongly to enable people to get what they deserve. And they have mm-hmm. been great kind of great, great, um, um, great supporters in that regard. But um, it has also, on the other hand, meant that there's been, a, you know, a turnover of staff and an mm-hmm. inability to, to to fill to fill jobs, um, where where the tension between what you came in to do and what mm-hmm. motivates you and what mm-hmm. the organisation expects you to do mm-hmm. is too broad, is too wide, mm-hmm. and it causes that kind of uh, that causes that kind of disjuncture between uh, what you uh, felt you were committed to educationally and, and, and ethically and professionally mm-hmm. and what kind of practice you're witnessing around you and what mm. kind of practice is supported as, you know, mm. as acceptable. Yeah. So I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. And um, maybe just to, to finish up, Magella, as, as we've said, we're both educators. What do you think the implications of your analysis are for us as educators? And I know we've touched on this a bit, but we're also governed by these standards of proficiencies. Um, how do you believe we can enact a pedagogy of care and build, and help to build a social care practice that is less maybe you know defensively orientated that's more emotionally sensitive etc cetera, etc cetera. um yeah i mean i think that's quite a challenge it's not insurmountable mm-hmm. by any means i mean mm-hmm. i i i think you know i think i think that um the experience, I suppose, of of trying to align modules and programs with the standards of proficiency uh has has been challenging, I think, for us as educators. Uh, on the one hand, um, 
the require the, the the desire to ensure that uh, a program of education gets accredited by Coru so that you can continue to provide it mm-hmm. has meant, you know, has meant quite a considerable attention to ensuring that standards of proficiency are embedded within the mm-hmm. program. And I think that's, 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 that's a very good thing. But what it has often meant is that the standards of proficiency have become a ceiling rather than a floor. Mm. And, and that many, many teams of educators um, have struggled to get, to get up off the floor and mm-hmm. and towards the ceiling where the where a more kind of nuanced and considered and um uh maturer um engagement with the complexities that the students are 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 coming towards us are bringing to us um uh, struggles to get a space you know um and, and so therefore i think that therefore i think the standards of proficiency are very valuable insofar as they do a baseline. There are problems with them. There are mm-hmm. things that are missing out of them. They mm-hmm. belong to a particular context. Therefore, they ought not be the be-all and end-all. Yeah. And so I believe that it is really important that we take a critical approach to it. Mm-hmm. We see what's valuable. We work mm-hmm. with what's valuable. We mm-hmm. point out the mm-hmm. gaps. We build on those gaps and we develop a coherent theoretical base for social care practice mm-hmm. that will inevitably encompass all of the standards of proficiency. They're not rocket science, mm-hmm. but won't be constrained mm-hmm. by the limits or and the political context within which they were developed and will, in fact, you know, do, as you mentioned, as you mentioned what Teresa Brown said, you know, moving beyond defensive practice, getting a more embodied practice like our colleague Denise, Denise, mm-hmm. uh, um, Denise and Carr with yourselves and said to, and sees it, you know, sees the kind of political context within which care is invisibilized and social care workers are 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 not well served by the way in which the structures of and the infrastructure of care is is diminished that that becomes you know as as important um uh, as the kind of standard of proficiency mm-hmm. and so i think that's why i think a healthy distance from the standards of proficiency is important yeah. you know yeah. they're there they're absolutely important um nevertheless they're not the be all and the end all um they belong to a particular context and uh it is behoven then on people who are researching and educating that we would that we would augment what are threshold standards yeah. with a critically and re- you know a relationally informed mm. practice of care therefore Therefore, going to the practitioners in the field, going to the people who are using services, building your research base around what they're saying mm-hmm. about the, the their practice and the service that they're getting and the issues that are affecting them, and bringing that to the table mm-hmm. um, as practitioners, as 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 researchers and educators, I think is really important mm-hmm. to ensure that we have we remain at least true. And I and I think I think one of the challenges of that is that is that there's very little theorizing of care in social care programs. Mm. You know, there's no modules called theories of care. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 have we have theories of power. We have theories of diversity and equality. We have psychology theories. We have social policy. Th- but you know, um, there isn't a module that introduces students to the concepts and thinking around care, because, like when I started teaching, care was something that you difficult to. It's kind of like a, it's difficult to get your fingers around it. Yeah, you know, it yeah. is a it is a malleable, moving thing, and it is historically contingent. You know, mm-hmm. what we thought was caring twenty years ago, you know, mm-hmm. we would frown upon now, and and so there 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 it goes. It's fluid, but the very concept of of care within education 
you know, suffers from its the same kind of lack of status and uncertainty yeah. and, and, yeah. and 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 low status, um, both in education as it does in the profession. Therefore, often distancing yourself from care um, and not dealing with it is often seen to be um, a sign that you're more professional. And so, you know, education hasn't actually hasn't actually engaged social care education hasn't in my view engaged hardly at all with theoretical concepts around care the politics of care the ethics of care um uh to any substantive degree that mm-hmm. would actually provide a critical distance um and so i think that we have to overcome our own you know anxiety mm-hmm. about engaging with uh that uh practices of care mm-hmm. um in order to ensure that they're great, more embedded within mm. our social care practice programs. And I think, you know, um, I think my own work, your own work, the work of Niall Hanlon, the work of other um, practitioners, indeed, even at the university level, you know, the, the Care Visions um, program yeah. down in UCC, you know, is putting care on the map. The, and in particular, the work of Kathleen Lynch has been hugely, you know, mm-hmm. hugely influential, you know, capitalism and care, mm-hmm. theorising about care across a whole range of uh, dimensions of our society. Um, that kind of, that scholarship is 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 extremely important and extremely mm-hmm. valuable. And in fact, you know, I I have started um, I have started giving um, students a reading by um, a very a very beautiful piece of work and and very accessible but very well informed by scholarship and care is a book by uh, the BBC um, journalist uh, turned author Madeleine Bunting called okay. The Labours of Love: The Crisis in Care. And she spent five years talking to people um, who were working as care workers, uh, social care workers in England. Now, I know the context is slightly different, but she talked to nurses, she talked to GPs, she talked to um, disability um, uh, workers um, and and parents organisations and social care workers about their work and the care dimensions of their work. And she has chapters on each of those. So it goes across not just mm. social care, but other caring professions. And she has some excellent scholarship um, included in that. And she speaks to the people who are you know, both doing the work and, and, and what their experience of trying to do it is and some of the people who are at the receiving end of it. And my students love it. They mm. love it. They love it because they can identify with it. They think yes, because she's her language is very straightforward, mm-hmm. uh, very um, inclusive, very descriptive, um, and and she says things that students go, yeah, 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 that's true, that's true, that's true, and it helps them to 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 uh, have language to describe the, the the intricacies both of care in their own lives and in their professional practice um and 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 and, and in the broader society mm-hmm. so having those kinds of resources and bringing them to bear i think um is 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 really important mm-hmm. in enhancing mm-hmm. our own capacity to teach and engage with these issues yeah no that's a brilliant recommendation and a brilliant maybe point on which to end um but that's been an absolutely fantastic overview of your work and of the importance of care and social care Magella um, really appreciate it it's been a pleasure to talk to you thank you thank you very much Neve.